Good morning, good morning. I certainly am grateful to be with you guys here this morning. And as I was preparing for, for sharing, I mean, you know, people prepare and try and think about, okay, what's God teaching me? What does God want to say to me to say to you? I was having flashbacks of, of junior high and elementary school, which may seem like a strange thing to have flashbacks to, but that's kind of where I went. I went back to junior high and elementary school, and I was having flashbacks of something I used to love in life, which was called speech meat. Now, I don't know if any of you have kids who have done speech meet or if you used to do speech meet, but I loved speech meet. I was at a private Christian school and I loved that time of year. I mean, I looked forward to it, of memorizing the poem or memorizing the monologue and and sharing it. And then something happened in junior high that I thought was absolutely awesome. And looking back now, I'm like, "What? what was going on? But in junior high, they added a new category. And the new category, are you ready for it? The new category that I just loved was competitive Bible reading. That that was the category, was who could read the Bible the best. They would like call out a passage and you'd open it up and it was like a competition of who could read God's word, you know, with the most energy or the the most passion. And, And I liked it, but why did I like it? I liked it because I was good at it. I, got, I won the blue ribbon, you know? I, I, I was like the best in the school or the region. I don't remember, but I remember, you know, winning. And the reason that I share that is not to tell you that I'm good at reading the Bible. I, I'm trying to, to show you, like, how embarrassed I am of where I'm coming from. From this place of Christian school was, was great for me, but it also, at some points, taught me to be, like, competitive in my Bible reading, to try and prepare some kind of speech. And as I've prepared today to share with you, I want you to know that God is changing my heart and doing something new in me. To where today is not about like me trying to give you a speech and you sitting there and wondering, okay, did, did she do good? How'd she read that verse? Today is about me trying to put all of that aside, any skill that I might have left over from junior high, and to listen to the voice of God, to hear what he's saying to me, so that then I can share it with you. So will you, will you join me in that? Will you join me in trying to, like we've just done through worship, trying to put aside some of the distractions? I, I'm sitting where you are 99% of the time, right? I'm just a member here at North Point, and so I'm sitting where you are, and I know it can be hard to put away the distractions that are in my mind. I can often be sitting there thinking, okay, well, what's gonna happen after this? We've got three young kids. It's like my only time to like think without all of them talking to me at the same time. But I know and I believe that God has given us a word to hear together today. So whether you're sitting in this room or or you're watching and you're sitting out in our Bullard campus or you're out in Kerman or you're watching online and you just happen to find North Point for the first time, I know that God has something to speak to us today. And so you join me in trying to put aside those distractions and and listen to what he has. So we are going to jump in and and read from Luke 10, 1 to 20. I'm not going to read it competitively. I'm just going to try and read it just normally. So now please don't be judging my Bible reading. It's a longer passage, so stick with me as, as we read this. Luke 10, 1 to 20. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. 
Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near to you. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Sherezin, woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. Whoever listens to you, listens to me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me. But whoever rejects me, rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. You see there at the top of your outline, right above that verse, just the word go, and that is what we're talking about today. Last week, Shane talked about redemptive relationships and, and what it looks like to invite other people to come and see, and today we're spending some time together thinking about what does it mean to be sent out as, as God's people? What does it mean to be sent out to care for other people? What is God asking of us? But before being sent out, the very beginning of this verse is one of the most important parts to me. And it's just those two words that say, after this. After this, Jesus sends them out. Well, after what? After all of the miracles that they had experienced with Jesus, after all of the things that his followers had seen, after all of the encounters that these 72 had had with Jesus. And that's the thing. Before we can be sent out by God, we have to encounter him. And I realize you're sitting in church, so you're thinking, yeah, I mean, that's why I'm here. I'm here to encounter God. But the simplicity of this and the importance of this was something that I could not get away from. And that's the first point there on your outline, is that in order to develop this heart of mission, this heart that's ready to go and, and, and share God's mission, message, we have to encounter Jesus. And then you can write down, choose to live in freedom. Encounter Jesus, choose to live in freedom. That's what encounters with Jesus result in. Encounters with Jesus result in freedom. You know, you see there on Luke, on your outline, Luke 9, 59 to, to 62, it says this. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service and kingdom of God. These are the verses that come right before the passage that we read in Luke 10, and it sounds harsh, right? I mean, Jesus is saying, no, no, don't, don't worry about burying your dad. Come and, come and proclaim the kingdom of God. But a lot, if you've read some about this passage, you might know that a lot of scholars say that this man was actually asking to go back, wait for his father to die, which who knows how long that might have taken, gather his inheritance that he was owed so that then he'd have something to take with him along the journey. 
He wanted to go back, the other guy wants to go back and settle all of his affairs, put all of the ducks in a row, make sure that everything is right. And Jesus is trying to say to them and say to us, that's not what encountering me looks like. I'm not coming to just make your life a little bit better. I think that's what these guys were thinking, like, oh, this is good, I met this Jesus guy, he's great, I've got this other life, so I'm gonna go like, make sure everything's taken care of there, and then Jesus is going to make my life just a little bit better. But that's not why Jesus came. He didn't come to give us a better life, he came to give us a free life, a, a new life. And if you haven't experienced that, that freedom or that new spirit that Jesus is offering, then that's the question that I wanna ask you today. Have you encountered Jesus? Not do you believe in him or do you know who he is? I mean, the Bible says even the demons believed in him, right? So that's not, that's not a good camp to be in. We don't wanna be in that camp where we just say, yeah, I know who Jesus is. I'm good with that. We wanna be in the camp of these 72 that say, I have encountered Jesus. I've experienced the freedom that he has to offer and so I'm going to follow him. Does that make sense? We cannot take out the message that Jesus has for us unless we have experienced it and, and we know it, we know it ourselves. I think we hear in that verse, Luke 9, I think we hear condemnation sometimes. I think we hear like Jesus saying, you know, I, I'm condemning you for the things um, that you want to do. And I, I have to remind us that that's not God either, right? If we hear condemnation, that's not Jesus. Look at the next verse on your outline, John 3, 17 to 18. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. I think that that is one of the things that God has for us today, is to challenge our hearts and to ask us, are you truly encountering me? Have you ever accepted my invitation for a new spirit for a new life, to step into something entirely different. And, and I wanna be clear, because when you talk about newness, when you talk about freedom, it sounds like I'm almost talking about an, an easy life or a convenient life. But those two things don't mean the same thing, right? Convenience and, and freedom are not the same. Convenience is like, like being upgraded uh, to first class, you know, if you're flying somewhere and you just get up, I mean, that's very convenient, that feels wonderful. Jesus is offering like an entirely different mode of transportation. He's not offering to upgrade us to first class. He's not offering to upgrade our lives. He's offering to give us a new life. And so I wanna stop just for a moment right now and I wanna pray for anyone who might feel their spirit responding of that, that new life is something that I wanna step into. Whether you came in here for the first time today or maybe you've been sitting in church for 20 years, but that newness and that freedom of God's spirit is not something that you have experienced so let's pray. Father God, we, we know that we can't do life on our own power, and, and we try, and we confess that we try and try and try, but we ask for your spirit to come and convict us that turning to you and accepting Jesus' death for us is, is the only way to true freedom. God, I pray that you will convict us to stop running on our own power, but instead to turn towards you and accept the new life that you have to give us today. We repent from our old ways and we turn around and we're running towards you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed that prayer, 
tell somebody about it. If, if you came with somebody, or, or even if you didn't like pray with me, but your spirit is stirring and you're like, I don't, I don't know, talk to somebody about it. Have you ever found that that's true, that things become more real when you tell somebody about them? If we just like are thinking about them in our head, they like become not real as soon as we walk out that door. And so tell someone that either that you came with or tell us out on the patio or there's a card in your thing, you can write down there, but tell somebody that God is moving in you, however God is moving in you. Now, I know that there are a lot of you who are sitting here today who have encountered Jesus. You have already made a decision to follow him, but that newness that I'm talking about, that freedom that I'm talking about, it feels so distant and so dull that you're not even really sure that it's still true. And that can happen to us sometimes. As we walk with God, we can forget that his voice is still speaking to us. It it reminds me actually uh, of an illustration that I heard recently that really spoke to my heart and that I felt like I was supposed to share with you. Um, You know, we have three young kids. Our youngest is seven months, and so she's not learning to walk yet, but our older two are six and five, and it reminded me of the times that they were learning to walk. And so I started looking back at at videos of them walking. In fact, I think we have a video of Gabe learning to walk. If we do, let's play it instead of me just talking about it. Stand up. Good job. Stand up all the way. (laughs) Gabe, do you want to walk? Will you walk for mommy? Come on, I'll help you. Stand up. Stand up. There you go. Well, stand up. There you go. Now, here you go. Here you go. Ah. (laughs) It doesn't even walk in the video, but man, I was so excited, right? I was right in front of him asking him, okay, stand up, stand up. You can do it. You can do it, bud. I'm cheering him on. And if he takes like one step, you know, you cheer as though like you won the World Series or something. I mean, you are just right in front of our kids while they're learning to walk. And I think that that's how God is often with us when we first come to know him. It's like we're babies who are standing up and learning to walk and he's like walking backwards saying, okay, you can do it. Come on, you can do it. You can do it. One more step. But something shifts. Just like as Kids grew up and they learned to walk. I mean, it would be very strange if I still treated my five-year-old that way, right? If I was walking around everywhere, walking backwards, asking him to keep walking. He knows how to walk now. And I think that as we grow in, in our faith and the longer we walk with God, look at the beginning of verse, uh, look at the beginning of Luke 10. Again, they were sent out, what? Ahead of Jesus. They were sent out ahead of him. They had to walk and go to the towns where Jesus was going to come. So Jesus is no longer like walking backwards saying, come this way, one more step, one more step. It reminds me of a verse in Isaiah that says, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. You see that? That your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. And and I know God goes before us, he goes behind us. I'm not trying to like over-exaggerate this point, but I think that sometimes as we're walking with God, we forget to wait for his voice behind us saying, this is the way, walk in it. And so we get weary because we're not willing to wait on him. We're not willing to wait for his voice and we stop believing. I know there's been times in my life where I've stopped believing that I'm even gonna be able to hear his voice. So if we want to be sent out as ambassadors for God, we've got to be able to keep encountering him, to stop, to wait, and to believe in faith 
that we can hear his voice and respond to what he's saying. That's the first thing. The next point there on your outline is this. Show compassion, pray for repentance. Show compassion, pray for repentance. So what, what in the world do I mean by this? What does compassion have to do with repentance? Usually when we think about compassion, we think about caring for people's needs. But what do I mean by pray for repentance? I think that we need to change our definition of compassion, our, our mindset. Compassion starts with having a burdened heart for people who don't know Jesus and praying for their repentance. Luke 10, 13 to 14 says, Woe to you, Sherezin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. Feels like I've picked out like the most harsh verses of the Bible. This we take as a harsh judgment. And there is judgment there. Jesus says at the end, this is not going to be bearable for you on judgment. But that beginning, woe to you. What does that mean? Woe means deep, like anguish, deep grief, deep distress over the fact that they have not chosen to repent. I mean, Jesus had a lot of followers, right? You'd think maybe he'd just look around at the people that were with him and be like, man, I'm glad God sent, glad God sent you to me. This is great. Let's keep rolling. But he doesn't. He looks at the people who haven't chosen to follow him and he mourns over them. He grieves over them. And that is the type of heart that we're supposed to have is to mourn and to grieve for people who don't yet know Jesus, both right here locally and and around the world, people who have never had the opportunity to hear God's name. Luke 6, 26 to 28 says, uh, here's this phrase again, woe to you. So again, deep distress, deep sorrow for you. When? When everyone speaks well of you. For that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Pray for those who mistreat us. What are we to pray for them? I don't know about you, but I like to pray for their judgment. I mean, you know, they mistreated me. God, I, I am praying for their judgment. I am praying that they will realize that they are a bad person, which that one's getting closer. I'm supposed to pray that they will repent. I'm supposed to be sad that they don't know Jesus. That has convicted me about praying from a place that moves my heart. And sometimes prayer does not move my heart, and there's a reason for that. It's because I'm not praying in faith. But when we pray in faith, it, it, it moves our hearts. It, it reminds me actually of recently, I was very convicted about prayer. We were walking through Walmart in Kerman. We spent quite a bit of time out in Kerman these past couple of years, so a few, did I say weeks? It was a few months ago. We're walking through Walmart in Kerman, and remember, out in Kerman right now, we're still setting up and tearing down everything. So we get there hours before church starts. We stay hours after it ends, make sure everything gets back into the trailer well. And you know what? Maybe that's one of the things that God is calling you to do, to go and, and go support one of these new places uh, where North Point is, to go just help in, in kids' ministry or to go be a part of unpacking and repacking a, a trailer in Kerman. So that's not the point of the illustration, but maybe that's the word that God has for somebody today. So we're in Walmart and Kerman, tired, right? I mean, realistically, we're tired. We've got our three kids who've been with us at church all morning. We're getting ready to walk out the door and the lady asks to see our receipt, which always makes me like so much more irritated than it should. I don't know why, like I didn't steal anything, but I feel so irritated to show her my receipt. So I show the receipt, 
But it was a good pause this time because I look around and we realize, oh, we're missing a child. We only have two out of three. So I'm glad that she made us pause. I mean, we probably would have realized it by the time we got out to the car, but I'm glad she made us pause. We had our youngest, don't worry. Seven-month-old was there, we had our oldest, but Gabriel was not with us. And usually, you know, these kind of things don't really cause me to panic. I don't, I mean, I don't lose my kids all the time, but sometimes, and I don't usually panic. It doesn't bother me. But this time, I don't know what happened, if I was tired or what it was, but I just started to feel panicked. And so I'm like looking around for Gabe, and I, and I can't see him, and I go back to where I thought he might be, and I went all the way outside. I don't know why I thought he could have gone outside. And I'm praying this whole time, but it's not, it's not prayer with faith. It's what I would call panic praying. Have you ever done this before? And I'm praying, and I'm like, God, where is he? God, God I want to find him. God, you know, I'm talking to God, and God listens to those prayers. He does. He's patient and kind to us. But my heart was in a place of panic, not in a place of trust or faith. So we keep walking around, and finally I spot him. And I am surprised because he's only five, right? And he's not... Um, he's not like disturbed. He's clearly looking for us. He knows that he's lost. He wasn't like, I thought I'd find him just like playing with the toy on the toy aisle. He wasn't doing that. He was lost looking for us, but he wasn't disturbed. He was calm. So I gave him a big hug and I said, but I'm so glad we found you. Where'd you go? And so we started talking about it. And then I proceeded to try and explain to him all the different things that he needed to do the next time he got lost. All these great practical tips. And Gabe looked right back up at me and he goes, well, mama, I just prayed and God brought you right to me. Yeah. Oh, right? Like, Ugh! when your kids just like get you. And I mean, immediately I was convicted of man. That, that is the type of prayer of faith that I'm supposed to have. And sure, those practical tips I gave him would be great. But what I want more than anything else is for him to have that heart of faith of I'm just gonna pray and God's gonna answer that prayer. And it's that type of faith that we have to have when we're praying for people to come to know Jesus. Because for as much as I wanted to find Gabe that day in Walmart, we know, right, our Heavenly Father, God wants for his kids who are not found to be found. For as much as I wanted to find Gabe when he was lost for five minutes, God a thousand times more wants for people who do not know him to come back to him. And how do we develop that heart that God has for people? Well, we develop it. We develop that heart by praying for them. So those are, are the first two things that God put on our heart to share with you, that we have to first encounter Jesus and experience his freedom. And then we have to pray for people's repentance so that our compassion can be rooted in God's compassion. Now Andrew's gonna come and talk about the next two. Thank you. Encounter Jesus. Choose to live in freedom. Have compassion. Pray for repentance. This next point, sense the urgency. Sense the urgency. And you're filling. Look for spiritual conversations. Now you might be saying, Andrew, Pastor Andrew, where in the text do you see urgency? I was listening when Alyssa read that passage, where do you see urgency? If you look in your outline there, Luke 10, verse 4, do not take a purse or a bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. What? Jesus, 
Don't greet anybody on the road. Aren't we supposed to be kind and welcoming and loving of strangers and other people? Why shouldn't I greet somebody on the road? See, here's the deal. In that day and age, a greeting wasn't just how we greet today, whether it be a fist bump or a handshake and you go on your merry way. In that day and age, a greeting could take days. A greeting was a distraction from where Jesus asked you to go. Now remember, uh, these 72 that went out, they had encountered Jesus. They were filled with compassion. And they sensed the urgency of the message. They sensed the need to go and have the spiritual conversation that Jesus was asking them to have. Don't greet anybody on the road. Don't take hours and days to just exchange pleasantries. Get after it. If you're like me and you like to write kind of in the side of your notes, just write in there. Get after it. Because there's a task that Jesus had for these friends, these 70 or 72 friends that were sent out. And it, it's described there in Luke 10, 8, and 9. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you, heal the sick who are there, and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. Okay, I get it. The message from Jesus. Heal the sick. Lots of different kinds of sickness, right? There's physical sickness, emotional sickness, relational sickness, Mental sickness, all different kinds of sickness. Be a part of that process of healing. Heal the sick. All right, Jesus, I got it. And then what? Tell them the message. Tell them what? The kingdom of God has come near to you. Sense the urgency, get after it, and have these spiritual conversations. But there's something important in this verse that I really want to point out. And it's the first part. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Now again, Jesus, you tell me not to greet people along the way, and then now you tell me when I get to the place where I'm going, just eat what is offered to me. Why? Well, here's the deal. When you are entering someone's home, when you are welcomed, what the scripture is saying there, you're in somebody's place. You're in their place. You're in their space. And when you're in their space, how are you to act with this important message and action? Heal the sick. The kingdom of God has come near to you. How do we share that message? Well, this is a really important point, and it applies to you, and it applies to me today. Because this is the posture that we're supposed to take. See, we don't enter somebody's house, at least 
I hope we don't enter somebody's house and like, man, that chair that you got over there, it should probably be over here, don't you think? I mean, we enter somebody's house and we start rearranging the furniture. You know, when you, you come on over, you're like, hey, I really like ribeye. Can you make sure that that's the only thing we eat? No, that's how kings act. Maybe a CEO, I don't know. But we are instructed by God when we enter somebody's home to enter in the most humble way and do what? Just eat what is offered to you. So take that posture of humility. Take that posture of being submissive to the one who has welcomed you. Why? So that the message of Jesus can be heard. I got a story. I was traveling in East Africa, and I was in East Africa. I landed in the capital. The capital city was like, I don't know, three and a half hours from this other beautiful location on a lake. And so I took a bus from the capital city to the lake, and I got to that lake and loved it. I met my friend, and we, we had plans to go out and share this message that we're talking about, to have a spiritual conversation with a family in a very, very remote village. Now, I, I knew this passage and I knew the posture that we needed to have as we were being asked to come to this place and to share this message. And I also know that my stomach isn't the strongest stomach out there. So you got this like, you've got this dance that you're doing. Like, do you say something or do you not say something? And so, I didn't follow what was said here, and I was like, hey, brother, can you tell him, like, I don't want to eat anything. So from that place, and that place also, by the way, beautiful lake, it was also the location where I looked at Alyssa, who's my wife now, and at that point, we weren't even dating, and I looked at her, and I was like, you, you're beautiful. But that's another story for another time. Anyway, so that lake, we got uh, on motorcycles at that lake, and we rode hours. I think it was like two and a half hours over the hills, over the hills, up and down. And we got to a place where the motorcycle couldn't go any farther. We're like out there. And then what? And then we hiked for another two hours. So we are like out there. You can picture me and my buddy, the two of us, we are at like on this beautiful lakeside location in this, this family's house and we're sharing the message of Jesus' love and we're talking about how the kingdom of God is near and God is moving in that place. And then I see it. The plates start coming out. And friends... What I saw placed before me had a lot of peanuts in it. And you know the color and consistency of peanuts in this dish that was placed before me. And so what do you do in this scenario knowing that you've got a three-hour hike and a three-hour motorcycle ride and a four-hour bus ride to go. Well, you eat it, of course. 
So I used that fork and I moved it around and I partook of that food in that place. And friends, um, we're not gonna get graphic here. We're gonna say two things. One, that motorbike driver had a big task. When we arrived after the hike and the motorbike ride and it looked similar coming out as it did coming in. But here's my point to this story, right? When placed in a position to be humble and respect those who are welcoming you into your home for the sake of the gospel, you always choose the message of Jesus. You always choose the message of Jesus. So maybe you're like me in that position and you're wrestling with, how do I go about living out these things, pastor, that you're telling me about? How, how, how do I go? I'm feeling the sense of urgency. I want to have these spiritual conversations. What do I do? Well, first, find people to engage in relationship with. Find people that you can engage in relationship with. If you're drawing a blank on that, well, jump on that, that the, the, the North Point Now on the website and check out some of those opportunities. Not for you to just volunteer for something, friends, but for you to put yourself in a position to have relationship with somebody else. Why, Why do we have the Enough Clothing Closet? Yes, we want to help people to have clothes. But friends, we want to be able to have a conversation with people from our community who are in need to be in relationship with them. Why? So that we can be a part of their healing and that we can share the message that the kingdom of God is what? Is near. You can be that person. I was just... uh, had like a rough conversation about the enough clothing closet. We, we weren't able to open and we were getting complaints like, why isn't the enough clothing closet open? And, and the answer is, is that we have volunteers to be open on Mondays. So maybe today the Lord is tugging on your heart not to serve, but to be a messenger of the gospel at enough so that we can open on Tuesday or Thursday or Friday or Saturday or Sunday, I don't know, whatever day it is, so that you can live out this scripture. If that's you, jump on the website, send us an email, shoot me a text, stop by the office, pick your adventure, let's go. You're like, man, the clothing thing isn't for me. Okay, well, is sports your thing? Once a month, we go out and we play sports. Why do we play sports? The same reason, so that we can be in relationship with people from our community. Maybe you're here because you were at Saturday Sports yesterday and I said I was going to share. What up? Welcome. Glad you're here. Glad you're watching online. Glad you made it to the Lifeway Chapel. Maybe big heart or elder care. These things that you see as just meetings to go to and stuff to give out are not that at all. They are opportunities for you to live out the principles we see here 
in Luke 10. Sense the urgency. Have spiritual conversations. Don't greet anybody on the road. Now, sometimes we have fear. We have fear that when we get out there and when we do that, when we have those conversations, that you or I will be rejected. And that's why I incorporated this next verse, Luke 10, 3. Whoever listens to you, listens to me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me. Whoever rejects me, rejects him who sent me. Friends, you can't be rejected. It's impossible. They can't reject you. They can only reject him. So we have nothing to lose. We only have to choose to live in freedom when we encounter Jesus and to have compassion for those who haven't yet experienced that so that we can be urgent in our effort and energy to have those spiritual conversations. You see where we're going here with this passage? And then Luke 10, verse three again. They can't reject you. They can only reject him. And that leads us to our last point. Expect to hear God's voice. Expect to hear God's voice. If you're looking for where you're going to get what you're supposed to say, it comes from him. And when you hear his voice, here's the takeaway. Respond obediently. Respond obediently. Luke 10, 16, you wonder where the, the uh, energy behind the longest titled message in North Point's history, G-O, go, comes from right here. Luke 10, 16, what's it say? We can say it together. In Kerman, come on, I want to hear you. Lifeway Chapel, where are you at? Everybody here in this place, what's it say? Well, just the first word, that's all we needed. Kermit, I'm sure you got that right. What's it say, the first word, G-O? Go, go where? Go where you are. Go into the nation, go into the world. Respond to what God is telling you. Expect to hear his voice and respond obediently. And when you do that, you'll go out like lambs among the wolves. Like, Ooh, that's a scary proposition. But in John 10, 27, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them. They follow me. We know his voice. We are following him when we're in his will and on his path, friends. You might eat something that doesn't sit right with you, but you are doing like I did in that village. But you're doing what God asked you to do. And then what happens? Luke 10, 17. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Three things from that verse. They returned. They came back. Awesome. Cool. So they heard God's voice. God's voice. They responded. They came back. Then what? Ooh. They were full of joy. Well, that's two good things. Awesome. Maybe you think that's going to be the emphasis, right? You went. You came back. You were full of joy. And then we read on, like, wow, this is, like, dynamic and powerful. Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. We were casting out demons. We did all this awesome stuff. We did so many awesome things in your name. Is that it? Is that the point? Well, Luke 10, 20. 
However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you. Huh? Jesus? What? Don't rejoice? But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Because friends, it's about the response. Have you encountered Jesus? Have you chose to live in freedom? You have that compassion and urgency and you're having those spiritual conversations where the bucket doesn't rest with you but it rests with him as you're expectant to hear God's voice and you're responding obediently. That is the key to these scriptures. So often we think that in this process, as we are gonna go, as we're thinking about where we can go, and we've got lots of opportunities, like Kevin said, and, and Lance said, and Mike said, and whoever's typing out there, Kim said, wherever you're watching, we want you to go, and we've got opportunities in Poland, and Asia, and Africa and the Caribbean to live these things out. Mexico. Where's God prompting you to go? Any of those other local things that I mentioned or something else? When we respond in our heart, that is what God is looking for from you. And we want to help you take those steps. So please do register online and all that stuff. But the point is your response to the call that Jesus is placing on your life. So here's a picture. Like sometimes I get all, all worked up. I'm like afraid in my spirit to share because I don't see the possibility of the person who I'm sharing with to become this big oak tree of faith or... We're here in the Central Valley, right? A big redwood or sequoia tree that takes decades and decades and centuries and centuries to grow. See, friends, if we see ourselves more like, like strawberry plants that, that just like massively reproduce, I, I should invite my friends from Kerman up here, whether, whether it be Josh or Jonathan Jason, you guys should be the ones up here sharing about how things grow. Because sometimes we need these pictures of things to help encourage us that, you know what, it's not the big sequoia and redwood. It's just a simple strawberry plant. Strawberries are tasty, huh? I like strawberries. But that's not the point. So as we close this message today, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. Will you bow your heads with me? Lord Jesus, I know there's some listening to this message who have responded. Responded to your prompting responded to your calling and they've made a step of faith. Lord, we pray that you'd give them boldness to 
let us know about it. Lord, and as we engage in these things together, I pray that you give them the strength and the courage to know how to expect to hear your voice and respond obediently. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.